You're listening to The Moment, an interview podcast series on life. We interview and capture conversations with creative minds, thought leaders, disruptors, and the people that are doing what they love while challenging the status quo. You can find the show notes on our website, themomenthq.com, and follow us on Instagram and Facebook. But for now, let's dive into The Moment. Hello and welcome to The Moment Podcast, uncovering your life-changing moments. I'm Monica Cade. Today we're chatting with Nick Lavage, the founder of Ali. Ali is one of Australia's fastest growing startups, which combines big data with predictive intelligence to find, acquire and retain the best customers for online retailer brands throughout the world. Nick has a degree in entrepreneurship and finance from USC Marshall School of Business and has successfully driven triple-digit revenue growth in Fortune 500 companies all over the globe. He's also worked with companies such as Oakley, 2XU and the Kardashian Collection. So let's dive right in. Hi Nick, thanks so much for joining me. Of course, thanks for having me. Pleasure. I believe that the people that are really successful at what they do, they behind the scenes go through so many things, which I feel the media doesn't really share with us all. And you've had some pretty interesting life experiences behind the scenes. And I was hoping to share your personal journey with our listeners today. Cool. Now we've briefly chat before. So you mentioned to me that when you were in your early twenties, you were diagnosed with melanoma. Is that yep, right? That's right. That's correct. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me what that moment was like in your life? You know, it was kind of like the first realization, I think, like when you're 20 years old, that you can die and that everyone in this world is going to die at some point. Mm-hmm. And so it just kind of made um, made it more real that uh, our time is finite in this world. And it was, uh, it was a little bit of a shell shock, but I think ultimately for the best. Yeah. How did you initially find out? So it's... <laughs> You know, being 20 years old and um, being a little bit vain in that time of my life, mm-hmm. uh, I actually went into because I had sunspots on my chest, so my yeah. tan wasn't perfect, mm-hmm. and I was uh, <laughs> wanting to go back to uni with a you know with a solid tan instead of having little white dots. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I decided to go uh, to my dermatologist, and they actually um, weren't able to get me in. So I was like, oh, okay, you know, whatever, I'll just figure it out. It's fine. Mm-hmm. But then I was able to get on a cancellation and they saw me kind of before I was going to go off because I'm, I'm from Arizona, but um, went to school in LA. Mm-hmm. And uh, they gave me cream, said, yeah, no problem. I'll be gone in a week. Let's do a skin check. And through doing the skin check after, um, you know, assessing out what the, the dots were about, they found a spot on my back that they took a biopsy and it, and it turned out to be melanoma. Mm-hmm. So it was so it was very very lucky and the and them even to you know to catch it because I came in for another reason. Mm-hmm. So for the people that aren't familiar with melanoma and what actually happens, how severe is being diagnosed with it? So I was very lucky that we were able to catch it in stage one, but AK I mean you know you know hundreds of thousands of people die every year from melanoma, especially in Australia too. Yeah. Um, and I was still in California at this point, so it's obviously you know anywhere in the world. But and you know there's less ozone in Australia, so it's something that is um, you know very big here. But the the thing with melanoma that is you know kind of scary is that if you're like me and have lots of you know different freckles and stuff, it's just really hard for a single person to to show, you know, be able to see what it looks like. You know, people look at moles and like, oh, is this good? And, 
you really need a professional to do that. So I highly suggest that anyone, you know, go get a mole check once a year. It's, you know, takes 20 minutes and it could save your life because if it does go untreated, um, and if I would have waited probably six months, the chances of me dying would have been uh, pretty high of, you know, above 90%. So, and the reason why melanoma is kind of a scary cancer that it's very treatable. Um, but as long as you catch it early, because it spreads throughout your whole body at that point. So most of the time people that have melanoma don't actually die from melanoma. They die from, uh, you know, either cancer in their lymph nodes or cancer somewhere else because it, it essentially, um, has ability to spread very quickly, um, you know, from that initial point on your skin. Wow. That's really interesting. I think it's so easy for us to, I guess, with something like that, because it's not so visible as such, we take it so for granted and we don't realize how scary that can actually be. Totally. Absolutely. But the good thing, news about it is it's, you know, it's very easy to catch early on compared to other forms of cancer, which can be more uh, hidden. So I mean, you know, there's like, you know, beard season and a few other um, good charities that just promote getting a skin check once a year here in Australia. And I, and I firmly believe in that. So, mm. yeah. And so what was your perspective or your outlook on life around 20 years old prior to finding out this news? Well, I think it's just, you know, you really thought you're just, like I mentioned before, you're just invincible. I mean, I think we all can relate to the feeling that, oh, that will never happen to me. And then when it kind of does, it makes you realize that, yeah, that the time's finite, that the, the line between life and death um, can change in the blink of an eye. Mm. And to really kind of you know, appreciate and know that, you know, you only have a set amount of time in this world. And, and unfortunately, you don't have full control over that. Yeah. So you were pretty young at that age. Do you feel like it really dramatically shifted your outlook? Like, did you start living your life differently? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it, it definitely helped, but it was a you know series of events in life. I mean, you kind of always fall back into old habits and different ways of looking at things um, if you don't check it mm. uh, over over time. So even since then, you know, there's been a, I've had a few uh, other cases of melanoma kind of pop up, which has also once again kind of helped me realize that. But I think that happens for a lot of people in different areas of life. I mean, you could almost get hit by a car by walking the street yeah. or anything else. I mean, it's, it takes that kind of like, oh, whoa, to make you really realize that you need to look at your life and see if you're living it the way that you want to be living it. Yeah, totally. And it's funny, isn't it? Because we just assume that our time, well, not assume, but it's like we just live as if we have this infinite amount of time. But when we break it down or where something really scary like that happens, it forces us to stop and really appreciate the moment more. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like we all, we all know it's a fact that we're all going to die at some point, but it's just a fact that we choose not to like really acknowledge or it's going to happen so far away from now that it doesn't really, really matter. But the fact is, is that it could happen in 15 minutes from now or in 30 years from now or 50 years or whatever it may be. So, um, you know, I think the valuing time is, I think most people know, I mean, time is literally the most precious commodity because it's, it's finite. Mm. Do you feel that this experience has influenced the way that you've approached your career or helped you build a successful career? Yeah, absolutely. I think, when I kind of look at one of the main things I got out from that whole experience is I really want to maximize my time uh, on earth and every aspect of my life, you know, as well as personal, professional, whatever it may be. So I'm really, really big about um, optimization and maximizing output in order to kind of get the most out of that. So I think that shows a lot in our company. You know, we use a lot of technologies and predictive algorithms and things like that in order for us to make optimizations about 10 times faster than it would for, you know, say, in a normal, in a normal company. So we're essentially be able to do, 
you know, 10 times more in the same amount of time. And I think that's really important to kind of make sure that you're being really efficient with your time and you're building in the right systems and structures in your life in order to really squeeze the most out of it. Mm, Absolutely. What challenges have you experienced on your entrepreneurial path? A ton. Every day is kind of a new one. But really that, that first, you know, the first year or so is really, really difficult. I mean, you you come from usually most people make a transition from a really well paying job, they take a you know, salary cut or they take no salary to transition into, you know, this dream of owning a business and uh, you're yet to kind of get your first few clients. You feel like you have a good product and you have to convince, you know, team members to come on. There's just so many different things in that first year of growing that I think is, you know, kind of difficult, difficult for an entrepreneur to know if it was the right decision to make uh, for themselves. But I think, you know, ultimately persistence succeeds all. Mm-hmm. Now, in our conversation previously, you mentioned that your wife has been part of your entrepreneurial path and has inspired you in many ways. How has she done this for you? Just by, I guess, being amazing. I mean, I think it's, <laughs> I think it's got to be one of the most difficult things. And I think there's actually a few books written about. It. I know Brad Feld, who's you know, one of the bigger VCs now, and he, he's a serial entrepreneur um, in Silicon Valley. He wrote a book. He wrote a book in conjunction with his wife, based on the fact of, you know, what what does it take to be married to an entrepreneur? And I think it's just, you know, it's it's got to be nuts to see the roller coaster of emotions that kind of come through um, running your own business and being married to someone like that. Mm. Uh, and so it's been really good for you know, me. I mean, I think our relationship is um, really works out well in the fact that we're very opposite. I think we're like the definition of, of yin and yang. Yeah. I, I live my life in the future. And uh, I think as a lot of entrepreneurs do, is they're always trying to figure out where we should be in the next year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now. And to a point where I have difficulty living in the present sometimes, and she's very, very present focused. Mm-hmm. And so it's really kind of good to be um, have that kind of yin and yang balance from not only a business perspective, but just a personal perspective. And just also for her to be incredibly supportive. You know, I've seen other uh, founders go through starting their company and their wives are, or wife or, or husband for that matter, are really um, against them working the 18-hour days that, you know, there's, there's, they don't feel like they have that balance and they're really not supportive of them chasing their dream and has never, has never asked me to stop working and she knows that I'm chasing a dream and uh, she's, she's been really supportive throughout it all. So I think that's, you know, a really important part of kind of having uh, someone on your team as you, as you grow grow a business. Mm, It sounds beautiful. It sounds like you have a very strong relationship there. You've also mentioned that you travel a lot uh, Mm -hmm. through your work. And I guess for many people, they wonder, you know, how can you travel and run a business and have a relationship and all that? How do you manage everything? So um, I think it really comes down to just being okay with working all the time. And I mean, if you really love what you do, then it's not considered work. I mean, mm. I you know, think one thing I kind of bring back to you a lot is if, you know, if you're like a lead guitarist for a band and you want on vacation, that guitarist is probably going to bring his guitar um, yeah. and play because he enjoys doing that. Mm. That's how I feel that I am with business is I, I absolutely love it. It's, it's just as much a profession. It is a hobby and a passion for me. So, you know, I work 365 days a year. Uh, but because of that, it allows me the flexibility that I have, I can really work from, you know, wherever I'm at. So if we're on, um, you know, business travel is one thing and we do a lot of that. 
Um, but you know, when we look at say different vacations, I'm totally fine with working, you know, four to six hour a day, um, in my vacation because I don't really feel like I need that, that separation, um, that the blur of the work life balance, I kind of, to me, it's all kind of blends into the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that is, gives me a lot of freedom to, to travel. Mm. And how do you feel about leaving a team while you go and travel? Obviously, I, I mean, from looking at your company and things like that, it sounds like you've got a really solid team. But have you had the experience of being concerned about leaving and not being, say, in the office? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, that definitely comes in. Having everyone in you know one place is always good. But we, you know, we have people in the U.S. as well as here, so we're kind of used to the whole virtual thing. And essentially, I'm I'm really working the same way that, you know, I would be in the office. Um, and so I think through systems and processes and having everyone having clear goals and deadlines, mm-hmm. we're, you know, we're pretty, we're pretty flexible on say your office hours, but we're not flexible on the goals that you commit to. So yeah. if you hit those goals, you can really kind of do whatever you want. Yeah. I like this new approach. I feel like, you know, in today's society, many companies are really focusing on workplace culture and really making that a place where people want to come to work and they do their best. And I find that having that flexibility is really inspiring a different kind of level of performance from people. Definitely. So you've got some really cool values for your your company culture, which I love. I'll just read out a couple of them so our listeners can listen to what they are. Uh, Hustle and move fast. Stay hungry. Wear David, not Goliath. Be open. No bullshit. Love data. Be playful. And don't be a... Uh, I don't know if I can say this word. Don't be a dick. <laughs> I suppose I can. It's my show. But I, like, they're just a few of them. And it's I love it because it's so upfront and honest. And I feel like, you know, sometimes in business, we set these um, rules about like how we have to be, you know, very professional. And I think you guys have done this in a very professional way, but very real way and very authentic. How did you come up with these values? You know, it's funny. It, when we wrote the values, um, it's kind of really a reflection of your management team and, and your CEO, and it's kind of like the personality that they are. So, I mean, just kind of looking at the, the kind of culture that we have, it's a very open, uh, very open culture. I mean, we're, I think we're the definition of kind of work hard, play hard. Mm. Uh, you know, one of the things that I think is really important for values is kind of was, when I was always in like an employee, I was kind of skeptical of values because I never really fully believed them because I'd come in and be like, yeah, they say they want to do this, but they don't really do this. And what I'm coming to learn is that you can't necessarily teach values. You can only hire values. Mm. So I think that's actually one of the, there's like a quote from, um, you know, one of the founders of Starbucks, I think that talks about that and saying, you know, how did you create such a good culture? He goes, I did it. I hired it. And, and I, I fully believe that. So when we, we use this as a big part of our hiring process, and because of that, our culture is really kind of easy to kind of fit to. Um, but it really does kind of encompass everything that we, we do on a day-to-day basis as far as, you know, making we're, we move incredibly fast, and really, but we love the hustle. Or, you know, as you mentioned, stay hungry that we're always open, you know, we always want to be better uh, tomorrow than we were the day before. So we're constantly striving to learn and then, you know, uh, just be, be, be the best we can possibly be. So I mean, it really comes down to each one of those things really fits well into, you know, our whole, our whole company. And I think that everyone in our company kind of values this naturally, it's innately, and then we just provide an environment that they can, they can live in on a day-to-day basis. 
Mm, awesome. And how are you feeling about the current success of Ali? Because you are growing quite quickly. What's that experience been like? Yeah, I mean, you know, the biggest thing for us is making sure that we have an ability to scale while keeping making sure that our quality is good. And so we've been able to do that a lot through technology. I mean, I think we've been able to scale much faster than a normal business because of that. Mm-hmm. I'm very big, you know, like once again, going back to efficiencies um, and getting the most out of life, like I, I want to make sure that we're getting we're able to squeeze out as much value in every minute that we have in a day. So I've been really, really big in, in my role in, in putting in the systems processes and technology in order to try to make a scale um, to be you know, a, a very big global, global player. Mm, awesome. I look forward to seeing how the un- the adventure unfolds for you. It's, it's looking really good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, everything comes with ups and downs, but um, you know, I, I'm, I love our, love our team and I'm confident in our product and I think we I think we have some good market fit and we're we're challenging an industry that's kind of been unchanged for you know the last pretty much forever ever since its inception yeah absolutely so I've got some signature questions for you yep can you tell me what moves you what moves me uh I think like compassion and tolerance people helping other people Mm -hmm. and what scares you it would have to be failure but I also think that also helped drives me as well. Mm-hmm. And if you weren't in your career, what would you like to attempt? I've always been fascinated with real estate brokerage and stuff like that. I think I would just be kind of good at that just because I like negotiating and mm-hmm. um, making sorts of deals. So I, I don't know. Why not? I give it a try, I guess. Yeah. Awesome. And tell me, what is the best piece of advice that you've been given? Best piece of advice? Uh, I think it comes from from my father, uh, he always used to say, keep the end in mind. And I, I use that probably on a daily basis. So mm-hmm. before approaching any situation to really think, what do you want out of this? And, or if you're getting upset about something, you really want to keep the end in mind. Is, is this going to really benefit your actions now going to be benefiting you in the future? So I think if you approach any situation with, uh, keeping that in mind, mm-hmm. your, out- your outcome is going to be much, much better. Well, that wraps up my questions for today. So thanks so much for joining me. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure. Excellent. Have a good one. You too. Bye.